Good morning, Creekside. I'm Mark. I'm one of the pastors, and man, so good to be with you guys. Thank you guys so much for leading us in worship like that. Um, I am I'm excited. So uh, I'm excited about um, what I'm getting to talk to you about this morning. I'm excited to be with you all. I'm excited for the truth that I get to speak this morning. Um, we are in a series where we're talking through who we are as a church. That's really what we're talking about. So we're, we're a family on a mission, and we've said that for years, but we're using this opportunity to kind of stop and say, when we say that we are a family on a mission, um, what, what does that mean? We're not just a bunch of individuals. We are um, gathered together as a family. We have a mission. What is that mission? And so last week, we talked about our new mission, okay? What are we saying? What are we, how are we clarifying that? Our mission is that we are glorifying God um, by finding life in Jesus together and inviting others to do the same. And so we just unpacked all of that. Like, we're, we're about God's glory. We're not here for our comfort, right? We're, we're here to say, like, there is something bigger and greater and more beautiful than anything that we could set as our own goals, and that is the, goal, the glory of God. And so that's what we're about. We're pursuing God's glory. How? We're doing it by finding life in Jesus. We're seeing, like, what everything that is on offer in Jesus, just like the branch that's tied into the vine, as Jesus says in John 15, we want to find that life in being connected to Jesus and everything that that means. We'll spend our entire lives unpacking more and more and digging deeper into what does it mean, what life is there in Jesus, and how can we find that. But we're doing it not just as individuals, right? We're doing it together, finding life in Jesus together and also not being that church family that likes to be together but doesn't like anybody else, you know, that gives off that like, hey, we're good here vibe, but no, we're a group of people that find life in Jesus together and we're all about inviting others to come experience what I've experienced in Jesus and calling people into that. This morning, we're going to dive into the first of our values, okay? So that's our mission. That's what we're after. Um, but then we're, we're identifying three values that we're saying these things are core to who we are. They shape the culture of who we are as a church family. So as elders and staff and everything we've been praying through, um, what does God want for Creekside Church? We came up with these three values and the first one this morning, they're all very simple, and I love them all. Um, the first one is, we are shaped by the gospel in everything. We are shaped by the gospel in everything. And I think that's different than saying we're a group of people that believes in the gospel. Um, it's saying we want to be shaped by the gospel, not just in religious ways, not just in churchy ways, but in everything. And so that's what we're going to unpack. Now, in order to do that, if you have your Bible, uh, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians we're going to be in 1 Thessalonians 1, and we're going to unpack just a little bit about that. And I'm really excited about this. I mean, Thessalonians, in, in addition to being like the most fun book of the Bible to say, I think, um, it is this group of people, this church in this location, where um, the whole thing, the whole book of 1 and 2 Thessalonians, the whole thing that's being talked about there is the word of God came to them. The gospel came to this church, and it absolutely rocked them. Like, it, it transformed this group of people. And Paul's, like, the first few chapters of this book, he's just, like, over and over again just saying how, like, thank you, God, that you, like, spoke into this um, congregation. Thank you that your word came. Thank you that your gospel came. And now that it's here, like, I'm seeing just how much that has shaped and changed and transformed who you are. And so um, that's what I want to look at is because that is exactly what we want for us as a church family, as a congregation, is for us to be people that when the word of God comes— we're not just people that sit here and we like listening to the Word of God. We're not just people that sit at home and we like reading the Word of God. But when the Word of God comes, when the gospel comes to us, we want to be people that are just transformed by it completely. So let's do this. I'm going to look at the first few verses here, um, starting in verse 2. 
Paul says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father um, your work of faith and your labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. And so as we look at this um, together, what is Paul doing here? He's saying, um, he's talking to this church in Thessalonica, and he's saying, we're giving thanks for you. Okay, we're thanking God for you constantly. And what is it specifically that he's thanking God for? You can see it here. He's thanking God for their faith, their love, and their hope. So as he looks at this group, he sees faith, love, and hope, and he says, I'm just thanking God so much for that. And I think we have a tendency to say, yep, faith, hope, and love, those are three great virtues. But I think we have a tendency to make them sort of private, in my heart types of virtues, right? So I love people in my heart, deep down, that's kind of my disposition. I have faith, and it's a private thing before the Lord, right? And I have this hope, and it's kind of vague, but it's very private. But what Paul is thanking God for is their faith, hope, and love. But in a, in a bigger sense, he's praying this. He prays for their um, thanking God because of their work of faith, which is a very active word, isn't it? A, their work of faith, their labor of love, and then the steadfastness or endurance of their hope. And so he looks at them and he sees not just like what's in their hearts in a private sense, but he's saying, man, this work, this labor, this endurance that I'm seeing that come from your faith and your love and your hope, this, this like active transformation that I'm seeing in what you're doing with the people around you, he's saying, I just thank God for that constantly. I think that's such a beautiful reminder of kind of what we're, um, what we're, what we're called to, what these things are to do in our lives. But here's, here's the real thing. How did that come about? How did it happen? I think he says it in verse 4. He says, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. This is how this works, right? God, uh, uh, the gospel came and it started transforming. It started working. And he's saying, what happened is, how, how, did it, how did you get to this point of faith that is working and love that is laboring and hope that is steadfast? How did it come to that? He says, our gospel came to you. We came to you preaching the gospel, but it came, it came in word, but not only in word, right? It came in word. It came in power. It came in the Holy Spirit. And it came with full conviction. And so I love this picture of a group of, family, a group of people, like a family that's together. And the gospel comes and is inserted into that. He begins proclaiming this gospel to the people. And he says, when you came, you heard it. And man, did it hit with power. And did it hit with the, the Holy Spirit. And did it hit with full conviction. And he's saying, this has changed everything and rocked your, your church family. And it's, it's created these shockwaves, which we'll look at in just a second. So as we talk about that, a gospel that is inserted into a situation that changes this whole group of people, to talk about that, we have to ask a question, and it's probably really basic, but it's super important. What is the gospel? Okay, what is the gospel? Now, all kinds of ways to talk about this, but very basically, gospel means good news, okay? So the gospel is good news, okay? So uh, just saying that, like, good news, like, and then, and then what follows after that? What is the good news? When we go up to somebody and say, hey, guess what? Good news, how do you follow that sentence? I think the best way to say it is Jesus. You can just say Jesus. Hey, good news, Jesus, right? Or you could walk out into our lobby and you could say, hey, good news, Jesus saves. That is the, 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 the gospel at its heart is this good news that Jesus saves. It's an announcement of 
um, Jesus and who he is and what he's done and what he invites us into and what he wants to do in our lives. And so this good news gets dropped into the situation in Thessalonica. Jesus saves. Jesus is at work. Jesus, there is a Savior that cares for you, that heals you, um, that is working in this world around us. And it's as, it's as simple as, man, an encounter with Jesus and we see who he is. It, it's as big as God's whole plan of redemption. If we, if we were to um, do like a whole march through the whole Testament, what we'd see is um, there is God calling his people, right? That the human beings sin, and then God says, don't worry, I'm going to fix it. I'm going to work. I'm going um, to trample on the head of Satan. And so you see like God's calling his people through Abraham, and he's calling his people Israel through Jacob, and he's calling like David and these kings and these, all these prophets. He's trying to lead his people towards wholeness and trying to lead them towards his kingdom that he's building in the world, the kingdom of Israel that's going to be um, light to the nations and all like, I'm going to fix everything that's wrong with this world, but we see all through the Old Testament, it's still broken. It still keeps falling apart. Beautiful pictures of something that's coming. And God sends his prophets to tell them, hey, I know that things are broken still. And you're going to be punished for all these ways that you're just turning your back on me and doing your own thing. But there is good news that's coming. There's a gospel that is coming. And ultimately, we see it arrive with Jesus. And what we see with Jesus, first we see John the Baptist come on the scene. And he's proclaiming a gospel that, that the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is coming. And we see Jesus himself proclaiming good news. This is the gospel. There, the kingdom of God is coming to you. Jesus himself being that king that's going to fix what's hurting and what's broken in the world. And so there's these calls and these invitations of saying, Jesus is here to fix it all. And it comes down to this. Ultimately, he, he brings that hope and that healing in big and small ways in the, in the like time that he was living on earth, and as he's working in his three years of ministry with his disciples, he would go up to somebody that was um, tormented by a demon, and he would, with his power, cast that demon out. And so here is the good news. Here's Jesus for this demon-possessed person saying, be freed, be healed from all that. Um, he would go up to somebody that was like crippled or blind or something, and he would go and he would proclaim, hey, good news. Here is um, the kingdom of God coming to bear on your situation. Be healed, be made whole again, right? He would go up to somebody that was outcast from society and say, good news, your sins are forgiven you, right? And so Jesus is walking through and he's, he's being and proclaiming the good news, the gospel, that he is there, that he's the king, that having an encounter with him fixes what's broken. But then ultimately, Jesus goes and he sits down with his disciples, has one last meal with them, and then he goes to the cross. And man, every sin, every brokenness, everything that we've ever done to destroy this world around us, Jesus goes to the cross and he lays down his life, taking on, on himself the punishment that we deserve. And he died as a criminal, though he was perfect himself. And he died, took it to the grave, and ultimately three days later rose again. And the good news is that Jesus saves. That he takes all of this brokenness, all of everything that we've done wrong to each other and to ourselves and to God. All of these things, all these sins, he takes it on himself. And the good news, the gospel is, there's a fresh start. There's hope. There's healing in Christ. So how, how do we talk about the gospel? If we're going to be shaped by the gospel, how do we talk about it? I think the, the beautiful thing is, man, the gospel is so simple that you could just say it is, it's the good news that Jesus saves, right? But it also is so, um, so good at being specific to our situations. Okay, so take, take like a, a guilt-ridden person, okay? And I think that's many of us. Right? Like we, we, we struggle with this guilt before the Lord, okay? And, and those of us that have been in the church for, for like our whole lives, 
kind of know the church can be good at, at like keeping a vague sense of guilt up onto our shoulders, right? Like we're, we're just told like how we're bad, we're sinful, like the, the world is broken, like we're never good enough. And so the church kind of sometimes gives us this vague sense of guilt that just kind of piles us down and weighs us down. And we, and we can just feel like just garbage and trash and separated from God. Like we can't ever live up to what God is calling us into. Maybe it's that general sense. Or maybe for many of us, when I say guilt, there's a specific thing, right? It's something that you did in your past. Maybe it's something that was done to you in your past. When we talk about being weighed down with guilt, maybe it's not general. Maybe it's like extremely specific and a time and a place comes to mind. Maybe it's some kind of chronic thing where you're just wrestling with this same sin over and over again. And we're brought back and we stand before the Lord and we think about it. We have this weight of guilt and sin coming down, crushing us below it. And the gospel speaks to that. And the gospel says, hey, good news. Jesus died and in dying, Jesus paid for every sin that you've ever committed, every sin that's ever been committed against you, that all of it Jesus takes and he absorbs and he puts it on himself and he dies as the criminal on behalf of that sin so that we can find forgiveness and healing. The, the, the gospel announces the good news that there's forgiveness of sins in Christ. Amen. And we could look at, man, for those of us that are experiencing like isolation, that's happening a ton right now. The last couple of years, I think our society has been fragmenting for like, decades <laughs> but then the last couple of years right we've been cut off from each other physically um we're still kind of in that that delicate dance of figuring out like what is it like to be around people and who do i really even want to be around so some of us are lonely and isolated some of us are have been made to feel like outcasts um from people that w used to be our friends um politically that's happened we're finding all these disagreements we had and people that felt so safe and sane and, and companionable to us now feel like strangers and even enemies and so there's this tearing at the fabric of who we are as human beings that we're we're made for community but we feel separated and the gospel comes to people like us that, that are that are hurting that are displaced i mean i think of the the um thousands and thousands of refugees from afghanistan that are like we literally just lost our home i'm isolated and the gospel comes and says good news there is a home for you. There is a place that you belong. There's a people that you can be part of because Jesus laid down his life to reconcile warring groups of people and to make us into a family together. And the gospel speaks with all of that grace and all that hope. For those of us that are fearful and anxious, there's so many things in this life that we can be afraid of, right? And there's, there's the like vague sense of anxiety we have, and then there's the very real, very specific things that happen in our lives that are just crippling, that we just, we just can't, move past. You can't pretend that it's okay when it's not. And so when these things weigh down upon us, these fears and these anxieties come, the gospel comes and it speaks to us and we say, good news. Jesus is here and he is with us in the midst of all that. And we don't know how it all ties together. We don't know how the story comes to have a good ending, but we trust in Jesus. There's good news that he is actually actively fixing all that is broken and wrong with our world. And the gospel invites us to experience that healing and that hope. We can look at those who that are dissatisfied, and aren't we all dissatisfied with something in the world around us? And we say, the world's not the way it's supposed to be. My life hasn't turned out the way that I wanted it to. My career is not getting ahead like it, I want it to. My family is broken in ways that I didn't want it to be. And the, the, the gospel comes to us in our dissatisfaction and says, good news. Jesus is the one that can truly satisfy. Jesus is the one that can reconcile any broken group of people. Jesus is the one that can provide ultimate meaning and hope. And finally, just saying it like this, for, for those of us that have been longing for justice, 
and, and we're in these seasons where, man, justice is not found, right? Whether it's really personal to me or maybe it's broad in society, but we say there's this justice that's being denied. There's this justice that we can't find. The gospel comes and says, good news. Yes, you don't find justice now. You're not experiencing everything being made right right now, but good news. Jesus is the king, and he's coming to establish his kingdom ultimately that's going to bring um, right every wrong. It's going to fix every mistake, and there's either punishment or there is full forgiveness in Christ for every evil that's ever been perpetrated in this world. And so the gospel is this big, beautiful thing that's this massive sweeping statement that Jesus saves, and it also comes into every specific situation that we find ourselves in. Every longing of our hearts and every pain that we feel, the gospel comes and it says, hey, there is good news here in all of this. And so if we want to look broader than just the message that Jesus saves, um, Paul also talks about, I mean, he talks about in 1 Corinthians how when he came to them, he wanted to know nothing among them except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And so there's a gospel focus in a really powerful way. Uh, Paul also says in, in another place, he's talking to the Ephesian elders in Ephesians 20. He talks about how he's declared to them the whole counsel of God. And so when we say that we want to be a people shaped by the gospel, we want to be shaped by that message of redemption and healing in Christ. We also want to be people that are shaped by the, the whole thing, the whole gospel, the whole big picture, every word that God speaks. We want to be people that are just shaped by that, that we want to hear. Anytime God speaks, we want to hear it, right? Anything he says, we want to believe it. Anytime we get an opportunity to hear the voice of God and to be reminded of the gospel, we're people that want to be there for it because we want to be shaped and challenged and changed and sent out to the world that's around us. And man, I long for that to be true for us. Now, the hard thing with the gospel, the hard thing with the gospel is it's, um, it's very corruptible. Like, it's very easy for us in our humanness to take the gospel and make it into something else. And we're really good at taking God's words and, well, maybe he meant more this than that, right? Um, or we take his words and we believe them as they're said, but then we change it to something else by how we live. We take the message of Jesus' forgiveness and we change it into something else. And so if you, if you picture, I think, um, a big argument that's happening these days is the idea of the slippery slope, okay? So you picture it, you're at the top of the hill, and you've got the gospel of Jesus. And you picture the, the slope kind of going down, and we start saying, well, you know, the gospel, like, God really wants me just to be kind of happy, right? And honestly, probably God wants me to be, like, successful in life. And, probably, and there's this slippery slope that leads us away from the heart of Jesus saves to kind of like Jesus wants us to be happy and whole and fulfilled and satisfied. And we kind of, like, we can see kind of a liberal direction that, the, that, that a, um, a distortion of the gospel would lead us down a slippery slope. And we have to be careful because, yes, there's that slippery slope, but guess what? There's a slippery slope on the other side, too. And what happens is that we can, we can um, pervert the gospel in a conservative direction by saying, okay, yes, 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 the gospel and grace and Jesus saves, but he also wants us to obey. And he's also given us the law, and he also wants us to be, like, really concerned about the evils that are around us. And he really wants us to be um, careful to disassociate with all the people that disagree with us. And there's, like, both sides are a slippery slope from the gospel, and we want to be people that don't just, like, live our lives and, and talk about the gospel. We want to believe the gospel so deeply that we say, either side that that slippery slope takes us, we want to keep coming back to this, that Jesus saves. And there's nothing that I can ever do to save myself. And there's nothing society will ever do to save us. Like either way the slippery slope goes, no, I want to stick with the gospel. And the warnings, the warnings are there. I mean, we can see calls like in scripture, like there's these warnings against um, being man, man pleasers. Like we want to please the people around us. We just want everything to be happy and good. Um, but there's also these calls. And I, I put a couple in here in 2 Corinthians 11. He's talking about how easy it is to be led away from the gospel. And this one here in Gal Galatians 1 
all of Galatians is this warning. He's saying, man, you're so easily led astray from the gospel. You believe a different gospel. And what is that different gospel in Galatians? It's all about coming back to circumcision, coming back to the law, coming back to like obedience, coming back to you have to act a certain way if you want to earn God's favor, if you want to be in God's good graces. And Paul's saying, no, the gospel is about freedom in Christ. It's about Jesus saves. And so we want to be people that don't distort what the gospel is, but that we live into everything that the gospel is. And so Paul says in verse 5, our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and full conviction. Man, I, that is so deeply my prayer for us as a church family, that if anyone says anything about Creekside Church, what our mission, I want to be clear, we're fighting life in Jesus and we want you to be part of that. But man, if, if, the, if, the, if Creekside Church feels like anything to anyone, what I would love for it to feel like is gospel. That we believe it and we know it and it shakes us to our core and it goes down deep into our bones. So now, Paul, I'm going to follow Paul's line of thinking a little bit further. Um, verses 5 to 8. He's going to talk about what this gospel did when it came to them. So he says, uh, the second half of verse 5, You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators us, of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. So here he's talking about a gospel that begins shaping their lives, okay? So he's talking about, definitely, he says, you know what kind of people we were among you? They, they lived, tried to live in accordance with the gospel. Not just you listened to our words, but you could see how it took shape in our lives. And he's praising the, the Thessalonians, saying, you as well, you imitated in us. You began living lives that were like these gospel-focused lives because the gospel is not just a message that we believe one time and then move on from. The gospel is something that shapes who we are at a deep core level. I remember, um, I remember visiting, my, my sister used to live in North Carolina, and I was visiting her there. So we went to this, like, great, like, Bible Belt church, and I remember they did a great uh, altar call. And, like, you know churches in the South are good with those altar calls. And so they were, like, doing the whole thing, come on up and receive Jesus. So they came up, and they, they prayed the prayer, and you follow along with the prayer. And there's this group of people at the front, and, and then the pastor, after they've prayed this prayer, the pastor is, okay, um, based on your profession of faith, and by the power that is invested in me as a minister of the word of God, like I thought I was at a wedding for just a second, I now pronounce you saved. And he gave him this lecture on, you never doubt it, you never question it, like take this to the bank or whatever else. And now, listen, I, I absolutely believe that God preserves his people. I believe that there's so much confidence that we can have in our salvation. But the whole thing felt to me very transactional. Like they were getting this certificate that's like, here you go, like thank you. Like God's up in heaven saying, Oh, did you believe the gospel for a second there? That's all I needed. Good. Let me fill this out. Here you go. I'll see you in heaven at the end of this whole thing. Have a nice life. Like, that's the impression that I get often with the gospel, that it's a transaction that gets you into the door, that gives you your get-to-heaven-free card. Um, but no, I think Paul talks about the gospel, and Jesus talks about the gospel, and Peter and everybody talk about the gospel in a way that is so much more full and, 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 and more like a seed that comes down and sprouts inside of us and grows from the inside out and begins to transform not just us ourselves, but the people around us. See, Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, I, I, I remind you, brothers, of, um, he says, the gospel that, you, that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. And so he gives these kind of three elements, these three um, 
time frames to the gospel. So it's the gospel that I preached to you when you believed or you received it, right? So that's past tense. This is what happened. I came and I preached and you received it, okay? So that's what happened in the past. But in the present, what's happening? This is the gospel in which you stand. So right now, present tense, ongoing, you are standing in the gospel. It's the foundation. It's the thing that kind of undergirds you and gives you stability that you're moving forward in. And he says also, future tense, it is the gospel by which you are being saved. It's this ongoing into the future kind of a thing. The gospel is all of it. It's in the past. It's in our present and it's in our future. And so we never grow past the gospel. It's always a thing that we live in, that we walk in, that shapes us. It's like a, it's like a gospel that kind of... Um, almost like an alien abduction, like grabs us, takes us out of our lives and shows us we have this encounter with Jesus that shows us something different, but then sends us back into our regular life. And, and, but we're in those same situations, those same things, same people, same places, same occupations, but we're never the same in those because the gospel has grabbed hold of us and it's changed us and, you know, way better than an alien abduction. But, you know, it doesn't just run tests and whatever else the aliens do to us. Um, but just puts us back into our lives. Now you're there, but you're different, and I've changed you, and it's good. So Paul, I love how Paul says this in verse, um, in verse 8, how, how the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you into all these surrounding areas. It's sounded forth. So I did, I'm trying to think of, you know, he's talking about this loud noise that kind of went out, and I, um, I went on to nextdoor.com, and many of you kind of know how this whole thing works, and I typed in, heard a loud noise on nextdoor.com, you would be amazed at how many people in all of our neighborhoods heard a loud noise, right? And then, so they, they share it. I heard a loud noise. What was it? And then um, all the neighbors just speculate on, oh, it's probably, a, you know, breaking the sound barrier. It was a cat knocking over the trash cans. It was a car that backfired. It was gunshots. It was fireworks. You can just find it all, right? But the, the idea is there's a loud noise that came, and it disrupted our community, and now we're trying to figure out what was it, you know? Paul's talking about the gospel, in Thessalonica, just like that. that. That, man, when the gospel came, right, it wasn't this, like, gentle little thing that happened and nobody really noticed. No, when the gospel came to Thessalonica, something about the way their hearts received it and the way God was working, when the gospel came, it came with a crack. And it was just this loud thing that came. And, and he says, everyone around it is like, wait, what was that? What did we just hear? What just came out of Thessalonica? What's going on? And they're leaning in to see, man, the gospel has transformed this group of people. And man, I love that thought with us as a church family, right? As we're trying to find life in Jesus together, as we're trying to go out and invite everybody into that, I love us being a people that are shaped by the gospel as, as like people look in and they see, okay, man, something is different with this group of people. All of us as individuals and then us together, something is different. What's the, what's the impact? What made the noise? What started it all? It's the good news that, that Jesus saves. It's the good news of who he is. It's the good news of what he's doing. And now he says, um, just to, to close this out, this last section here, he says, um, they themselves, like all these people that have heard about it, they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. And so I love this final picture where he's saying everyone's talking about what happened when we were there, when the gospel came. Everyone's talking about it. And what are they saying? They said, you, you went from serving, from worshiping these idols to worshiping and serving the one true God. They, they're seeing the difference here. Now, now, back like long ago and in these different cultures, right, they're like bowing down, worshiping these idols, like these little statues, okay? And he's saying, you did all that stuff and now you're worshiping the true God. 
Today we have idols, I think, every bit as much as they ever did back then. We're just more, like, refined and sophisticated about it. But it's just as silly as a person bowing down in front of an idol, right? And it's things like, what are the idols now? It's things like our careers. It's things like our personalities. It's things like our own um, notoriety or success. It might look like our families. It might look like our churches. And so these things become idols. And what, what makes it an idol is that we stand there and we worship it. And we say, this matters more than anything else. This is worth sacrificing my time and my money and my family for. I will sacrifice to this thing. And he's saying, what happened in Thessalonica is everybody was worshiping these idols. And the gospel came and they were set free from that. Set free from all the idols that just weighed on them and demanded everything of them. And they let go of the worship of the idols. And they came and said, to say, I'm going to serve the Lord. I'm going to serve God. I'm going to follow him. He's the one that delivers us. And so he gives this picture of transformation, a changed allegiance and, and a transformed worship. And so the call is to say, man, if we're going to be people that are shaped by the gospel, the call is to see what is the gospel calling us to? What does the gospel say to us? How is the gospel going to speak? And will we be people that are listening as God speaks his good news and calls us into that? If you remember back to when we went through Isaiah, um, one of my favorite passages in the whole book, right at the end, Isaiah 66, God is saying, this is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and who trembles at my word. And I love these words so much because it's God saying, it's God like this whole book of, of, of warning and hope and all these messages at the very end of it, who's the one that I'm going to look to, Okay. And so we think, like, what could we as Creekside Church, what could we do to be like, okay, God looking down and saying, what's happening at Creekside matters. Like, what's happening here? I really care about that. I'm looking to Creekside to see what's going on there. What is it? Is it, like, the size that we get to? Absolutely not. Is it the amount of money that we have? Is it the, the, the big projects that we do? Is it the doctrine getting all, like, hammered out and refined? Is it our cool new mission statement and values? Like, no, it's none of that, right? What makes God look to Creekside Church and say, hey, I'm really interested in what's going on here. He says, it's the person who's humble. It's the person who's contrite in spirit, quick to just let go of it all, to, to repent, confess, come to the back of the Lord. And it's the, it's the person that trembles at his word. And I think on a, on a deep core level, that's what I mean when I say we're a people who are shaped by the gospel and everything. That when God speaks, when we hear his word, when we hear this good news pronounced, when God speaks, we're people that, that tremble when we hear it. Because we take it so seriously. The Lord is speaking. Okay, whoa. What is he saying? This matters more than anything else that's happening in my life around me. All these messages, all these things I'm hearing, all these things I'm told to care about and to do and ways that I'm told to spend my time and spend my money. Wait, wait, wait. The Lord is speaking. That matters more than any of the rest of it. And we're just people that just tremble at his word. People that actually believe the things that he said. And I want to just say this before we close. Um, years ago, I had... Um, I heard Jeff Vanderstelt preaching about um, the gospel. And what he was saying is, he's in a church setting, talking to church people and saying, we, we should all be uh, aware. We'll be shocked to find out, but we should be aware of how little we as Christian church people actually believe the gospel. Because we talk like we believe the gospel, and we say that we believe Jesus saves, and that he forgives us of our sins and all those kinds of things. But he says what happens is, he says we start at the foot of the cross, and we see, okay, Jesus forgives me for my sin. There's grace there for me when I fall and when I stumble, and he's there to pick me up and forgive. He's quick to do that. What happens is we step away from the cross, and then we fall into sin, okay? And maybe it's the same sin time and time again, right? It's our lust 
It's our anger. It's our, um, it's our greed, right? It's the way that we're treating the people that are around us. It's the way that we're worshiping things in our lives that don't be, belong to be worshipped. But we step away and we fall into whatever that sin is for us. And he says, what happens is then we fall into that sin, and we as Christians should know, what's the answer? What do I do? I go right back to the cross, to the foot of the cross, because that's where I find healing and forgiveness and wholeness. And I know that God is there with open arms, like the father of the prodigal son coming running out to meet us, right? But what do we do as Christians? Often what we do is we fall into that sin, and we think, okay, I can't talk to God directly. I, I can't make this right right now. I'm going to kind of give it some time, or I'm going to give it some space, or I'm going to do a little bit of, like, protestant penance right and i'm going to kind of like work my way back up to coming back to the lord in full confidence and saying lord work through me bless me bless my family hear my prayers honor my service those kinds of things he's saying that the amount of time it takes for us to come from falling into sin to returning back to the foot of the cross he says that'll tell you how deeply you believe the gospel or not and man i would love for us creekside church to be a group of people that are so shaped by the gospel where it comes it comes like a crack and it shapes us, it rattles us to our core, and it makes us different people. So much so that every time we fall into sin, and we acknowledge it before the Lord, and we say, Lord, I'm sorry. I, like, I, I know better than this. I should not have done this. Would you please forgive me? Would you please heal me? And know that in that moment, instantly, all of our sins are forgiven. Past, present, and future. In Christ, he was paying for our sin. And so when we heap it back up on top of ourselves, we're not helping anything theologically. We're only showing we don't truly believe the gospel. So we come quickly ourselves back to the, to the gospel, back to the cross. I'd love to see us be a people that look at the world around us and we see people that are hurting and are broken and instead of being what the church has often been, which is a, pe- a group of people looking at the world around us and man, we are so disappointed in our society. Ugh, I'm so grossed out by my neighbors. Oh, I'm so displeased by what's happening around me, what's being taught and whatever, right? Instead of being those people, right, we could be the people that believe the gospel so deeply that we walk fearlessly into a world that absolutely is turning away from God, right? A world that absolutely is broken in all kinds of big and small ways, but that we could be a group of people that walk to that group, to those people that are hurting and broken, and we can offer in so much confidence the grace and love and show them, look, that is the father running to meet you, the prodigal son. Like, he's there. Let's, let's see. Like, like, I want us to be a group of people that doesn't just talk about good news, but that we feel like good news. So when people see us coming, it's not, oh, boy, Here's the Christians. They're going to tell us all about how bad society is. But no, oh, these people are good news, right? Because we carry the good news of Jesus, and he speaks through us. So what I'd like us to do now is um, to just reflect on that. And so we'll reflect in um, singing together. Um, But before we do that, I'm going to bring Chelsea up here. And um, Chelsea has been so awesome just to, to take some time and help us to pause, give us the gift of, like, some space and some quiet. And I'd love for us just to wrestle with this idea of being a people that are shaped by the gospel. And so for some of you, that's going to mean um, maybe this is the first time that you've thought deeply about, like, that good news of who Jesus is for you. And so I invite you to use this time and this space. God is literally here with us. And Jesus, who offered himself for us, is literally here with arms wide open. And so just talk to him. Uh, allow Chelsea to just lead you in um, thinking through, like, how am I connecting to him right now? And for those of us that have been Christians for a long time, um, let's, let's use this as an opportunity to be drawn back in to the heart of what that gospel is and ask the Lord to shape us through it.